We turn now to the preaching of God's Word. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, as we make our way through this letter of Paul to a city that is in modern-day Greece that he wrote to encourage them in their faith. This morning we're going to focus on verses 2 and 3, but I'd like to read this section all the way down to 9 because I think this whole section is unified by this theme of peace. That there is this disagreement, this division that's happening in this church where these women need to learn to agree. There is anxiety that wells up in our hearts that causes disquiet and we need peace. And then there is the path of peace laid out for us by Paul. And so I'd like to see this. You'll see our title is The God of Peace. And I think the God of Peace is related to all three of these parts this morning. But we will focus on verses 2 and 3. Hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's call upon the Lord in prayer and ask him to be our teacher this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come with many cares this morning. And there is much disquiet in our own hearts. And we need your peace. We need you to bring peace to our hearts. Peace to our relationships. Both inside of this church and outside of this church. Father, we pray that you would instruct us and teach us this morning. Illumine our hearts by your Holy Spirit. That we may see and know the way of righteousness. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit that we may walk in that path. And Lord, help us to see the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. In whose name we pray. Amen. This text for us this morning is about disagreements in the church. Have you ever disagreed with somebody in the church? Of course you have. Of course, you've disagreed with somebody in the church. We're human beings. We disagree about virtually everything under the sun. It doesn't have to be in the church. It could be at home. It could be at your job. It could be with 
some type of civil issue in the government. It could be even over which baseball team or football team or soccer team is better. We find ways to disagree about everything in life. We are not always going to see eye to eye. We are going to see things differently in life. We have different preferences, different ideas, and different ways of looking at things. So it's not uncommon for us in the church to see things differently and to disagree. Disagreement in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. We see things differently, and that can be healthy. It can be a healthy thing for us to hear what other people have to say. We all have blind spots. We do not have perfect knowledge. We are not omniscient. Ultimately, we are not God. But sometimes what happens is those disagreements become personalized. We take offense at what a person disagrees about. They don't agree with our plan. They don't agree with our ideas. They don't think our interests are as important as theirs. And then what happens is a very sad thing. That disagreement grows into argument. And then argument turns to bitterness. And ultimately that breeds division. Or no longer can we talk to one another. And we need the exhortation here that Paul gives to these two women. Agree. Agree in the Lord. But how do we do that? How do we agree when we disagree? Especially in the church where this can happen at any point, at any time. How do we do Paul's command to these two women here that he gives today? Well, I'd like to show us from this text this morning of how we can grow and learn to agree in the Lord, what Paul provides for us this morning. And I'd like to show this in two ways. What is required of the individuals, what is required of those who disagree, and then what is required of the church. We all have a responsibility in this matter. And then I'd like to propose to us how we do this. Not only what is required, but how we actually can do this. So firstly, what is required of the individuals? The first thing I want you to notice, and it doesn't come through quite as crystal clear as it does in the original Greek language here, is Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. This is a very unique command that Paul gives here. This entreaty to agree. He addresses both of the individuals and he reiterates the same word to both of them. And what's more is this is a public letter. They would read this, church, this letter in the church before everyone. So we have to understand that what is happening here is this matter, this disagreement between these two women had become known to the whole church. And it needed to be publicly addressed before the whole congregation. And Paul had to address these two women together. Euodia, Syntyche, before the whole congregation, I want you to know that I, the Apostle Paul, want you to agree. And I want you to agree in the Lord. 
This is humbling. A humbling circumstance for these women to be publicly addressed by the Apostle Paul before everyone. And I believe this is where we begin with knowing what is required of us when we have disagreements with one another. Is we must learn to humble ourselves. This is, in fact, one of the significant themes of this entire letter of Philippians, is to humble ourselves. And Paul spells that out for us, and we have looked at it in the past. What is required of us first is to humble ourselves by laying down our interests, laying aside our interests. If you turn back to chapter 2, you will see that Paul wants these believers in Philippi to have the same mind, the same heart, the same love. And then he says this in verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Some commentators think this is actually the whole reason why Paul wrote this letter. is because the division that was happening between these two women had spilled over into the rest of the church. And this church is on the precipice of being fractured apart by this disagreement. And he says, brothers and sisters, you need to humble yourselves. Euodia and Syntyche, you need to humble yourselves by laying aside your own interests. Now, interests are not the same thing as truth. Paul is not saying here you need to jettison what is true. This is not a doctrinal dispute over the essentials of the Christian faith. Paul is not saying, you guys just need to come together and have a party and agree. One person believes Jesus rose from the dead, another person believes he didn't. That's not what Paul is saying here. One person believes Jesus is God, the other person does not believe Jesus is God. This is not a matter of interest. Those are not matters of interest, but matters of truth. But interests are what we personally enjoy and delight in. I have all kinds of interests outside of this church, and you all do too. And you also have interests of things you would like to see happen in this church. Things that we enjoy, things that we delight in. And the agreement that Paul is calling these believers to is not an agreement or an agreement that doctrinal matters are irrelevant. It is that Our interests can run contrary to one another, and we need to learn to set these interests aside to work together. The problem often is that we confuse, as you have heard before, our needs and our wants. Things that must happen in the church and things that we want to happen in the church. And it's our part to learn to separate those things, to separate doctrine from interest, needs from wants. Because if we don't do that, we cannot do this next thing of humbling ourselves that we need to see here. The next thing that is required of us is you need to admit 
that you need help. John Calvin says that considering others' interests before our own is one of the hardest, if not the hardest things for humans to do. Well, the second hardest thing to do for human beings is to actually admit that they need help. How often do we worry, be filled with anxiety because we do not ask others for help? The disagreements that we have with other people fester into bitterness because we don't want to ask other people to step in to help us. And that is born out of pride. It's born out of the pride of thinking that you have the ability in yourself to figure this matter out. And it's born out of pride thinking that if I just say the right things... I can actually convince this other person to follow my course of action. But what do we see happens in those circumstances? Where we don't ask for help and we instead rely on ourselves. Does it actually fix the issue? No, it actually drives a wedge even farther apart. We see this in all kinds of relationships. Friendships, marriage, co-workers... If you would only see it my way, then everything would be fixed. But what we need to do, both sides, both people, is to admit, when a matter does not get resolved, that you need help. And this is a part of humbling yourself. It is acknowledging that I cannot do this on my own. Now, that doesn't mean you admit that you have no beliefs or opinion about the way things need to be done or issues that may need to be addressed, but that you're not going to do this at the cost of your brother and sister in Christ. Because doing that at the cost of that relationship with them is perilous for you, it is perilous for them, and as we will say in a few moments, that it is actually perilous also for the church. We need to consider others' interests as more important than our own. We need to admit that we need help. And then the hardest thing of all, that Paul tells us in chapter 2, we need to consider others better than ourselves. The last thing that we want to do in a disagreement is consider that that other person is better than us. We are actually thinking, I am better than you. I know the right way, you are wrong, and you just need to get in the train behind me and follow. And we look down on them. You poor soul, you don't see the light like I do. But here we are taught from the book of Philippians that we need to consider others better than ourselves. Looking at that person and thinking, you are more important than me. And when we do that, certain things will follow. It first means reaching out to the other person that you disagree with. Not to argue, but to seek agreement. 
And this could happen on both sides. You could be the person who is offended. In fact, let's just assume here for the sake of argument that Euodia and Syntyche both are offended at each other. They're both looking at each other thinking, you have said things and done things that made me mad. And I feel righteous in my anger towards you. And I'm not going to make a step forward in our relationship until you come to me and admit your fault. Is that not what we do in our relationships? But when we consider the other person better than ourselves, we will begin to follow the pathway that Jesus lays out for us. Going to our brother and doing two things. If your brother sins against you, tell him his fault. Saying, you offended me in this way. It hurt me. It made me upset. That's the first thing. But the second thing that actually comes before it is taking the log out of your own eye. Considering someone as more important in yourselves is seeing, I may be committing the very sin that I am going to accuse this person of. And in fact, it may be a log in my eye compared to the speck that is in my brother's eye. That is the process of considering others better than ourselves. Acknowledging, I don't have this figured out. What's more important to me in this situation is you, the person. I want what is best for you. Yes, the issue needs to be addressed. We may need to get help. We may need somebody to intervene in this situation. But I'm not going to ignore this. That is what is required of us if we are in one of these circumstances. But there is a requirement for the church here as well. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 4. Yes, I at this verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Sometimes disagreements in the church faster to the point that it becomes known to everybody. And we need to recognize, as a church, the seriousness of unsolved disagreements. Paul's approach here is unique in the New Testament. There is nothing else in the New Testament like how he is addressing these women and seeking resolution with them. It's a serious issue. Now, not every little matter needs to be addressed by the church. That would be a messy situation. We need to be a forgiving people. Proverbs 19 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. How many thousands of times do I, your pastor, or you, a congregant, offend one another? And we learn to say, there are times that things get said and things get done, and they're not done out of malice or anger or self-interest. It's just miscommunication, misunderstanding. And we've all done these things. And we say, I'm a sinner like them, and I will move on from this. 
It's not always everything that needs to be addressed. But sometimes there are things that do need to be addressed by the church. When everybody in the church begins to recognize this ongoing disagreement between two people in the church, they see it and they feel it. This needs to be addressed. We can't ignore it. So how do we know when to step in? How do we know? Well, first of all, the matter needs to be known. Now, there is a sinful way that matters get made known in the church. And we've all seen this. In fact, we may have participated in ourselves. It's called gossip. It's a big problem. Our world thinks gossip is a wonderful thing. There are magazines called gossip. It's, these are rumors. These are things we've heard and we're going to share with everybody around us what we think is going on. But that is not the way that we are to respond in the church. Because gossip is a rotten infection that will ruin us over time. What is gossip? What is it? This is my attempt at a definition of gossip. You can come after me. Come at, don't come after me. Come talk to me afterwards. We can, we can uh, disagree cordially together about whether this is a good definition or not. But I would say that it is the sharing of false or unconfirmed information about someone or sharing about their sins, faults, and failures with others. It's false or unconfirmed information. You don't know if this is true or you know it's false, but yet you share it. Or it's talking about somebody else's sins, faults, and failures. Did you hear about so-and-so what they did? Now, there is a time and a place to share about somebody's sins, faults, and failures to the right people who can step in to actually do something about this. This is what we see outlined for us in Matthew 18. But I want to focus here on gossip. Why do we do, why do we gossip? Why do we do this? Gossip is enjoyable because it's power. It is a power that we have because it gives you access into someone else's life that you wouldn't normally have. You now have insight into the intimate details, potentially, of what's going on in their life that you would not otherwise know. And when we have that knowledge, we feel righteous. I know what you did wrong. We feel superior. Oof. Like the the man that we heard about in our confession of sin today. I thank you, Lord, that I am not like this tax collector, the Pharisee. And then gossip will rip relationships apart in all kinds of ways. And so we need to understand that when a matter becomes public, it becomes public in a way that is understood by everybody, not just through gossip. It becomes public because the people conducted themselves in a public disagreement. 
Everybody or people in church witnessed their disagreement, and it happened in a way that was not good. Or you can sense the disagreement between those people because it's palpable. Maybe they used to sit together. Maybe they used to spend time together and go hang out, and all of a sudden they're sitting apart, and everybody thinks, what's going on here? Something has happened between these people in the church. And when this matter becomes known, the church will need to step in. The church will need to help these people. Why do we need to do this? Why does the church have a responsibility here? It's because of what I like to call, for the first time ever, the spillover effect. When disagreements among church members are known, it is instinctive for us to have an assessment of the information we hear. That's normal, and that is natural. When we hear about a disagreement, we naturally will give an assessment about who is in the right and who is in the wrong. The problem comes is that our assessments are often based on limited information. We don't know everything. And our assessment is also based upon our relationships with each of those people. Maybe we like so-and-so for certain reasons. Maybe we don't like this other person for other reasons. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe they've wronged you recently. And it is going to affect and color your ability to accurately assess that situation. We have thoughts and opinions about the issue they're disagreeing over. I believe this is, this is the right way to see this issue. And so we draw all kinds of conclusions based on the disagreement that's happening. And then something happens. We begin to rally around other people that share our belief and conviction. And then before you know it, the church has split into factions over this issue. And we divide. I side with Euodia. Well, I side with Syntyche. And then the church is dividing and falling apart. And the biggest problem, as one commentator points out, is that the church gets derailed from its primary mission primary mission of worshiping God and spreading the gospel. We get caught up in each other's problems and issues, and the church divides against each other, and instead of being a forward progress march of spreading the gospel, like these two women had done in the past, we get focused on this issue. So one of the ways that we can actually help in these situations is to withhold judgment. Say, I don't actually know what's going on. And I may not be the right person because of my relationships with them. I may not be the right person because I'm not qualified to do this. I need to step out of this situation and not pass judgment. Let the right people, as Paul here tries to do, step in here to help. So what are we as the church to do? 
The first thing, just like the other people, we need to recognize when people need help. Instead of avoiding the problem, I don't want to step in there. You might be the person who says, hey, these people are disagreeing with each other and they need help. Is there someone who can help them? I don't know what's going on or I have an idea, but I'm not the right person to do this. Second thing is what Paul does here is recommend a mediator. I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Now, apparently, this person, we don't know who it is. There's a lot of suggestions about who this person may be, but we don't know. But we know just simply that it was a companion, a fellow soldier, as this word sometimes is used, with Paul, who has labored together with him in the gospel. It's likely that this person has particular skill and helping people come together to navigate their problems. A counselor of sorts. And this person is true. They are faithful. They speak the truth. They're not trying to pick sides. They are trying to help navigate through the issue. Sometimes we need that person in our lives. We need that person in the church to help us. We need to recognize when others need help. We need to recommend a mediator. And as Paul points out here, we need to remember the past and the future. The problem with disagreement is we only focus on the moment here and now. I think there's a reason why Paul goes in this next section on to anxiety. We get anxious thinking about the moment of here and now, this problem that seems to never go away. And Paul says two things. Remember the past. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Help these women who in the past have been such an extraordinary help to the church. As the church, our tendency is to think of people only exclusive about the problem we see right in front of us and forget who they are. Forget the wonderful things that they've done and the ways they've contributed to the church to help it, to see it grow. We end up with a myopic vision, a single focus vision on the issue, and it clouds us to who that person really is. We need to remember who the people are, especially if they are people who have been faithful in the gospel, despite all their faults and flaws. But secondly, we need to remember the future. Remember or help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellows workers whose names are in the book of life. We need to not only remember the past, we need to remember this person's future. They will be glorified. God is working on them even now. And he is shaping and growing them into a person who will stand in his presence and who will have eternal life in its full. We want to write people off like there's no hope for this situation. And we need to remember, no, there is hope for this person. 
They belong to God. Their name is written down in the book of life. Even though there's challenges, we remember this person belongs to the Lord. Just as Euodia and Syntyche are called to agree in the Lord, we as the church are to remember that these people belong to the Lord. Now these are the things that we as a church can do. Now you're probably feeling pretty weighty and heavy right now. How are we going to do this? Well, first of all, you fail to do this. I'm sure you failed to do this this week, maybe yesterday, maybe even already this morning. You are a failure at doing this. Your pastor is a failure at doing this. We are all together in this group of people who fail to recognize our need to fail to recognize others' needs. We, can, we need forgiveness. We need to know that the Lord forgives us when we fail to seek reconciliation. When we fail to help one another. When we disagree in ways that are ungodly and unrighteous. You need forgiveness. And there is forgiveness for you in Jesus. But you need also grace. You need grace to help you to move forward to do this. You need to know that it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And if you've been paying a lot attention for the last few months, you would know that that phrase comes from this very book in Philippians. It ultimately does not depend upon you. Now, you can do everything that is good and right, but it does not depend upon you. It depends upon our God who is at work in your life and in the other person's life. We need grace. We need God's favor to help us. And acknowledging that unless the Lord works in our hearts to change them, Nothing will ever be repaired. The last thing we need to see is that a humble church is a peaceful church. Strife, division, arguing, fighting, disagreements, they come ultimately because we exalt ourselves, like the Pharisee. I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. This is why Jesus ends that passage. He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. A humble church is a peaceful church. And our God has shown that he is a humble God. And the way that he has made peace was through humbling himself. He made peace with you and I by humbling himself. He put our interests before his own. Jesus Christ said, your interests are more important than mine. He considered us more important than himself. And more than that, 
Not only did he put our interests before his own, not only did he consider us more important than himself, he went to his enemies. He made the step forward to us. He came to you. We were at enmity with God. And then what did he do? He took all that enmity on himself. He bore it. I will take all that enmity that exists between you and me because of God's anger and wrath at your sin, and I will take it on myself. I will bear it, and I will take it away. That is the hope that you and I have as those who fail in this, who do it poorly, is that we have a God of peace today. A God who makes peace between enemies because he has made peace with his greatest enemy, sinners, and has brought us back into his fold by humbling himself. So brothers and sisters, remember what your Savior has done. Not only by setting you an example of how to do this, but actually doing it for you. Making peace with you. By loving you. By giving himself up for you by dying for you. Remember your Savior as you seek peace with one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus and his giving of himself. Lord, I pray for us all that we would be people who work to seek peace among one another, that we would consider each other's interests more important than our own, that we would humble ourselves And Lord, I pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to be a united church around what is good and what is true, your gospel and your word. And Lord, if there are things in our church that need to be dealt with amongst our members, amongst anybody else in this church, Father, I pray that you would bring those to the light so that we can be in unity around what is true. Father, I pray you would help us to stand in Jesus Christ, the one who has loved us and given himself up for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.